Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Jeff. Joining me, as always, from the Pacific Northwest is my co-host, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, how you doing? Hey, man, just happy to be here. Uh, I've been enjoying watching baseball. You know, I got that uh, major league ticket thing, so uh, I, I am pretty excited to season what little we have of it is going on, and and. Uh, uh, so I've been doing a lot of reading, a lot of studying on uh, some interesting topics. I'm ready to rumble. I, I noticed you you said you've been watching Major League Baseball and then didn't mention that the team that you work for, <laughs> the Seattle Mariners, which makes perfect sense uh, to exclude them as a Major League Baseball team. We we are uh, growing. Uh, we are a young, <laughs> very young team, and we're going to be good in a couple of years. That, that's all I have to say. I think you might have the rookie of the year in the American League. I'm just being honest. We may. We may. He, uh, Kyle Lewis is looking pretty darn good. Yeah, no, I enjoyed I enjoyed the games I've watched. He is, uh, he's pretty impressive. Good defensive. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious to see if he can keep this batting average up, but he's quick. He's athletic. It's yeah. fun to watch. My kind of, my kind of player. He's, yeah, he is definitely fun to watch. And I would love to see him keep this up and, and uh, get rookie of the year. It would be great. All right, so let's. Uh, we've got actually. We're, we both have topics today. It's very, very exciting. How about that? <laughs> it's a four-hour episode. Uh, we're going to talk West Coast Negro League baseball, and uh, we're also going to talk uh, Ten Cent Beer Night, Ooh. which is uh, always an exciting thing. Always leads to some interesting stories. So we've got that coming up on the episode today. But before we do that, we don't want to just jump haphazard into the uh, the, the main body of the episode we need to warm up so we're gonna first take a little bp i've got a couple of things today i found i found a really great quote from joe nuxall so remember joe nuxall is he holds he holds the distinction of being the youngest player yes to ever play in major league baseball he debuted at the age of 15 yes in 1994 and in uh, in 19, I'm sorry, in 1944 is when he did. Yes. I think I said 84. There was an interview, though, that I found with him from 1994. So it was the, essentially the 50 year anniversary of him making his appearance. And he was reflecting on his on, you know, that major league debut. This is a quote from him. He said, I was pitching against seventh, eighth and ninth graders, you know, kids 13 and 14 years old. Then all of a sudden I look up and there's Stan Musial. <laughs> It was a very scary situation. <laughs> no doubt about it. That's you're in high school, and then all of a sudden you're facing Stan Musial. That was intimidating, I imagine. I can imagine. I, it'd be intimidating, I'm sure, facing Stan Musial if you were a 10-year veteran, but just right. <laughs> a 15-year-old kid. Yeah, I'd, have just, I'd have just peed myself, I think. I thought that was pretty cool. We've, we've talked about Joe a little bit. Uh, next is a question I have for you. This was an interesting, uh, interesting thread. I think I saw it on Reddit. I'm not not sure. It was about baseball pet peeves. What uh, what I may maybe I'll tell you mine first. Give you a minute to think about it. But baseball pet peeves. I've got two that really bug me. I think one of them I've made pretty. I've I've let it be well known that I do not like solid color jerseys. I like home whites and road grays. Yes. Now, that being said, of course, the A's Kelly Green, they can wear those every day. I'm fine with that. Those are sweet. I don't, you know, I don't as much mind the white socks kind of all black 
tops. I think those are okay. I can't think of any other team that I like. They're they're solid jerseys. And I, I by the way, I don't like the the A's dark green jerseys. Oh. I don't like those at all. That's one of my pet peeves. My second baseball pet peeve is organ music. <laughs> oh my god, I hate organ music. Uh yeah, it's a throwback, isn't it? You know, at Dodger Stadium, oh my gosh, there's so much organ music. But it just, I can't stand it. It's just not for me. I know, yes, it is the throwback, and that used to be all you got, but I do not like organ music at baseball games. I, I can understand that. I mean, it, For me, when I used to work in the minor leagues, there was a, there was a real live organ uh, when I first started going as a, as a kid, going to the games. So it kind of reminds me of that. And at Safeco Field, back when it was Safeco Field, had a, an awesome organist named Art Foonman. I don't know if you remember him, but he was fantastic. Yeah, he was a, a very interesting character. Yeah, interesting guy, very talented. Didn't talk a lot. That would often show up and just forget to wear pants. Yeah, but yeah, massive. you know, artists are generally a little bit aloof. Yeah, massive head of hair on that guy too. It was uh, he would bury it all under a cap, and then we'd take his cap off, and boom, it was an explosion of hair. But you know what? I did think of a pet peeve, man. I absolutely hate it in the era of I, I'm not opposed to instant replay. Okay. But I hate it when a guy like has a close play and he'll immediately and he'll get called out and he'll immediately turn around and start pointing like, just calm down, get there. You go, oh, I don't, I don't think that was right. Let's uh, maybe we should review the thing. But they, these players will jump up and start just pointing and go oh, review it, review it now, now, now. And it drives me nuts. I am 100% with you. I, it's, it's not as bad anymore. But yeah, when it first started, it was ridiculous. It's just like what little NFL I watch. I think any player, and it's usually a wide receiver, they'll, they won't catch a ball and they'll, they'll get up and they'll immediately start making that flag motion. Yes. <laughs> I think they should be flagged if you make that motion yeah. immediately. That's totally annoying. Or ejected. Ejected's even better. They can't come back in and then the game gets going faster. I remember Cano, when he was with the Mariners, was a beyond taking eight hours in the box every at bat. He would because, you know, he's very casual in the field. He is. He would just casually immediately point to the dugout. And, oh, you know, one of my other pet peeves is Scott service after every play on the top step with his hand (laughs) outstretched, telling the umpire to wait. Oh, boy. Uh, Yes. Well, you know what? Cano, uh, he was an interesting guy. Um, you know, it, it, it was fun to have him in Seattle while we had him, but yeah, he did have the whole pointing thing. He had that down to an exact science. So let's, uh, let's jump into, I've, I want to get through BP pretty quick here. Cause I think we've both got some good things to talk about. So let's talk about some debuts. This show is debuting on August 25th. I got three debuts here for us today. First 1908. Mr. Joe Jackson, a.k.a. Shoeless Joe Jackson, makes his Major League debut today. Of course, Shoeless Joe Jackson, everybody thinks of first being with the Black Sox, the 1919 Black Sox. He did win a World Series with the 1917 White Sox. But, of course, that nobody remembers that. This was a very interesting quote I saw from Babe Ruth about Shoeless Joe. He said, I thought Joe Jackson was the greatest hitter I'd ever seen. He's the guy that made me a hitter. I copied his swing. Wow. That was kind of interesting. High um, praise. 
Uh, he is a career 356, you know, has a career 356 batting average with only about 10 seasons. His career OPS plus, though, is 170, which is incredible. Yeah. And his just OPS is 940. He did lead the league in hits two consecutive years in 1912 and 1913. You know, beyond that, he did come in second in that 1913 season in MVP voting. Had 202 career stolen bases. That's not bad as well. But, uh, of course, he was banned. He probably would have played a couple more years. He was 32 years old. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He in his final a, season. He probably still had a couple more years left in him. He was also uh, very highly praised for his defense. And uh, then went on to own a, a liquor store. Yeah. In, Which, in Georgia, I believe. You know, that's that's a dream of a lot of us. Uh, we all have that dream of opening a liquor store in Georgia. <laughs> They're called package stores in the South. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry about that, South. <laughs> all right, so next we've got 1973. We've got Ken Griffey Sr. made his debut today. Uh, Griffey Sr. won two World Series with the Reds in 75 and 76. He was part of the big red machine. Was a three-time All-Star Ken Griffey Sr., a noted bachelor that never had any kids of his own. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, actually, I think, well, maybe you're right. Oh, wait, no, I'm getting him mixed up with somebody else. No, of course, he's the father of Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, September 14th, 1990, a magical day in baseball, especially for Mariners fans. Yes. That is the day that Ken Griffey Sr. hit his 151st career home run. Not to be outdone in that same game, Ken Griffey Jr. also hit his 36th career home run, becoming the first father and son to hit home runs in the same game in Major League Baseball. And obviously that's a record. That, well, not a, it's not really a record. It's a first that has yet to be duplicated. Yeah, that's a tough one. To, that'll be a tough one to duplicate. The, those two playing together was it was just super cool. You know, I, I wasn't working for the Mariners at the time, but I was going to as many games as possible. And it was just awesome to see those two play and the rapport they had. And it, it was, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Do you remember who was on the mound for those home runs? For, it was against the angels. I have no idea. My guess would be Mark Langston. Kurt McCaskill. Kurt McCaskill. Very good. Yeah. All right, our final debut, making his Major League debut today in 1979, was Jeff Reardon. And we've talked about him when we pulled, we've pulled him several times in Wax Packs yes. Heroes. The Terminator was his nickname. One of the first He's a closers. member. Yeah, he was one of the first and one of the best. Uh, I think, didn't he hold the, he held the career mark at one point for career saves. It was, it's been overshadowed many times since. He was a member of the 1987 World Series uh, winners, the Minnesota Twins. He won in 1985 the Rolades Relief Award. I was that, that wasn't the, the fireman, was it? No, I think that's different. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that some, the, the, the reward for relievers used to be like this big firefighter helmet. Yeah, I remember I, that. I don't remember if it was from Rolades or not, but. He won that in 1985. He only led the league in saves one time in 1985 when he had 41. He ended up with 367 career saves. Huh. His first win, he, he came up and uh, his very first game he played in was the completion of a suspended game. He came in and pitched one inning, the top of the ninth, and uh, then the, Met, the Mets got a, uh, a run in the bottom of the ninth to walk him off. So he pitched one inning and got a, a win in his first ever major league game. 
Nice. But uh, his first save came uh, September 28th. He pitched an inning and two thirds versus the Cardinals and got the save for Il Gasolino. <laughs> Absolutely. Dude, I used to see Juan Berenguer in the minor leagues when I was a little He pitched for the Tacoma Twins. I did a little quick research. Um, the reliever of the year award from the Sporting News is called the Fireman. You're a Fireman of the Year Award. And the Major League Baseball is the Rolaids Relief Man. So they're two different, two separate awards. Got it. He probably won them both because he was. Yeah, he was awesome. The man. All right, I asked you a trivia question last week. Let's see if you've come up with any answer. I asked you it's a pretty simple question. Name the only pitcher to win a batting title. Um, yeah. I have no idea. Nothing. I mean, if I had to offer a guess, I would I would guess Babe Ruth, but I know when he was pitching, he wasn't hitting all that much. And so I don't yeah, know. Yeah, this is long before Babe Ruth okay. was was even born. Then it was some guy. Uh, I'm going to go with the name uh, Heine because <laughs> it seemed to be a popular name back then. Uh, nope. This was Mr. Guy Hecker. And I'm saying Guy. I like to call, I like if we could pretend he's French and call him Guy, but I'm pretty sure it's Guy Hecker. He is listed as a pitcher, first baseman, outfielder. And he actually was a pretty decent pitcher. He ended up with a record of a career record of 175 and 146. He won in 1884, 52 games. Wow. Which you would think would be, you know, all that impressive. But uh, as we talked about uh, a couple of episodes ago, there was uh, old Haas Radburn (laughs) who, uh, Happened to win 59 yes. that same year. So his his win total of 52 was forgotten because uh, old Haas won 59. I don't know a whole lot about Guy Hecker or Guy Hecker, as we might call him, um, but that's impressive stuff. I didn't know a whole lot about him either. Uh, he pitched the bulk of his career for the Louisville Eclipse. <laughs> Oh, of the American Association. Yes. He won 52 games, as I said, the same year that old Haas won 59. Hecker had the greatest hitting day of any pitcher ever, still to this day in the major leagues. In the second game of a doubleheader in August, actually August 15th of 1886, Hecker won the game as the starting pitcher while hitting three home runs and also knocking three singles with seven runs scored. His 15 total bases was a major league record at the time, and his three-homer game as a pitcher has only been matched one other time by Jim Tobin in 1942. Wow. His seven runs scored remained the major league single-game record by any player. Remains. I'm sorry. I think I said remained. That's impressive. He hit 341 that year, by the way. I don't think I, I mentioned that he hit 341. He came to the plate 343 times. So it wasn't like he, wow. I mean, I guess he pitched a lot, but still it's, that's, that's pretty good for a pitcher. Absolutely. That year, uh, in 1886, he went 26 and 23. So kind of an off year. All right. So I got another trivia question for you here. This one is a, another short one. 
there are only two players that I have been able to discern. I'm going to leave this open in case I'm wrong, which I've been known to be. But I'm making these things up. I'm trying, I'm trying to be original here. Who are the only two major league players to have hit a home run, just a, even just a single home run, before they were age 20 and after they were age 40? <laughs> okay, so you want me to think of guys with really long careers that could hit. Okay, I got gotcha. you. And I'm going to give you a clue, even. Their last names rhyme. Okay, I'll uh, bat that one around. Yeah, see if you see if you can come up with it. And I'm gonna going to tell you right now, Ken Griffey Jr. is not one of the answers. Ken Griffey Jr., of course, hit a couple of home runs before he was 20, but he turned 40 in his final season, and he did not, in those 33 games with Seattle, hit any home runs. Oh, so close. So it's, it, it's not Ken Griffey Jr. And Griffey doesn't really rhyme with a whole bunch of, bunch of other names. Okay, I got a couple Think guys in it. mind, but uh, I'll 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 promise not to look it up, and I'll uh, I'll give you an answer next week. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let the ground screw do their thing. That's the end of BP. We're now ready to jump into the uh, main stories that we've got for this week. And Mark, since you did not get to go last week, I'm going to let you go first this week. So tell us about uh, some West Coast baseball. Uh, I'm sorry, West Coast Negro baseball league. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just recently heard about the West Coast Negro Baseball Association and I thought, man, I, that's something I hadn't heard of. And I decided to do a little research and I'll tell you what, it was not easy. There's not a whole lot of information out there about <laughs> the, the West Coast Negro Baseball Association. I can tell you a few things. Uh, it was formed at the end of World War II in 1946. Um, at a meeting of the High Marine Social Club in Oakland, California. I am a member. Uh, are you a High Marine Social Club member? Uh, absolutely. I'm very, I'm much, in, I'm very much into high society. Yeah. You wear those captain's hats and smoke a, a pipe. <laughs> yeah. And, and <laughs> nice. call my wife lovey. Nice. Beautiful. Well, that's a, you're part of some good company uh, with a guy named Eddie Harris and David Portlock. And they, uh, they pitched the idea of forming a black baseball league on the West Coast. And the idea was to use PCL parks, Pacific Coast League parks, when those teams were on the road. So they came up with the idea and they, they took it to a guy who had established himself in the world of, of African-American sports, Mr. Abe Saperstein. Now, does that name sound familiar to you? That, that name sounds very familiar. We've talked about him on several occasions. Yes, Abe Saperstein, of course, uh, was the uh, manager and promoter for the Harlem Globetrotters back in 1929 throughout a long, long time. And he had actually owned a handful of uh, teams in the Negro Leagues. Um, just to name uh, the Chicago Brown Bombers, the Birmingham Black Barons, and the Cincinnati Crescents were all teams that he had owned. And so he uh, was approached by Harris and Portlock and he said, yeah, this is a great idea. And he decided that he would help them form their league. And he brought in a guy uh, that had a pretty popular following too. a guy named, well, let's just call him the great Jesse Owens. Uh, I've heard of him. Yeah. Yeah. Arguably the most important athlete of all time. I don't know. I can put up that argument, but uh, he, he, Jesse Owens said, yeah, let's, let's do it. Uh, Owens became his business partner. Owens uh, formed the Portland Rosebuds, 
which is an interesting name, but I get it. The, you know, the Rose, the whole Rose goes with Portland thing. Uh, the, uh, the Rosebuds, by the way, played their home games at Vaughn Street Park, which is where the local Portland Beavers played. It, uh, it is now an industrial property. There's nothing left of the stadium, but there is a plaque. So that's not that far away, but I might have to go on a plaque search. We've talked about that when we had uh, when we had our buddy Ben from the uh, Diamonds and Roses podcast yeah. on. Uh, yeah, we talked about and, and the history. It was a WCNBL stadium as well. So um, I found that pretty interesting. Uh, the idea was, of course, to put teams in cities that had current PCL franchises in order to utilize the the facilities without having to come up with a new place to play. Saberstein already owned an African American barnstorming team called the Cincinnati Crescents. So he moved them to Seattle and named them the Seattle Steelheads. So the Steelheads were the, one of the first teams to be added to this particular league. Uh, I'm surprised they didn't name them Seattle Kraken, as it's very popular. <laughs> uh, but he went with the Steelheads, which, which was a perfect name for them. Basically, they, these guys got together and they planned a 110-game season. And the teams were... The Los Angeles White Sox, whose home field was Wrigley Field, the Los Angeles Wrigley Field, not the Chicago Wrigley Field. The uh, Oakland Larks were another team. They played in uh, the stadium that the Oakland Oaks played in. And as we talked about, the Portland Rosebuds playing in Vaughn Street Park. Then there was the Fresno San Diego Tigers. And they were supposed to play at the Fresno Midget Auto Racing Park but they never really got off the ground, and that franchise was moved to San Diego. They played it at Lane Field, home of the Padres. Uh, San Francisco had a team, the San Francisco Sea Lions. They played at Seal Stadium, and the Steelheads out of Seattle played at Six Stadium uh, when the Seattle Rainiers were out of town. So it was a six-team league. Every team was uh, committed to pay a $500 franchise fee, which is a chunk of money back then. Uh, the official name of the league was the West Coast Baseball Association. There were some big names involved with that. Uh, Saberstein, obviously, Jesse Owens, famous Negro League player Hal Yellow Horse Morris, and uh, Herb Simpson. The, they put these guys in, and I thought they would drive interest in the team. Unfortunately, the league was put together so rapidly that teams struggled to find the right dates and times to play in the PCL stadiums. They struggled to find and sign enough umpires. There were a lot of salary disputes as there had not been uh, enough investment money built up to, play the player, to pay the players what was expected. So the league unfortunately folded about three months from its creation and only had a month of actually playing baseball games. It didn't last a long time, but the idea was pretty cool. And I, uh, I, I thought, man... I, there's got to be more information out there. So actually, I found one really good repository of information, and that was the Oakland Public Library. They have all kinds of WCNBA documents, photos, correspondence, and stuff like that. So I kind of based everything based on what they could offer online. All the teams, the three of the teams folded, and three of the teams, Seattle, San Diego, and Oakland, actually continued to play in 46, barnstorming and playing local teams all across the Midwest. So they just, they just evolved into from a, a baseball league team to a barnstorming team. And the uh, San Diego Tigers were actually pretty popular, and they came back to play barnstorming-wise in 1947 as well. Uh, I found this is an interesting little note. One of the highlights uh, the team used in advertising uh, 
was the play of their one-armed fielder, Jesse Alexander. Uh, they would take this guy, and before the game and between innings, he would show off his fielding and, and how he had, could hit for power with just the one arm. So I thought that was really cool. It was a, it's a good way to advertise. Sounds like Pete Gray. Remember, we've talked about exactly, Pete Gray. Exactly. Like had Pete the Gray. one arm. Yep. Yeah. And apparently, Jesse was uh, quite good defensively and, and uh, hit for power. So that was, that was kind of cool to read about him. In early July of 47, the Tigers found themselves returning from a tour of Mexico, and the local papers reported they had won 80% of the games they played. Couldn't find any more information about that tour. Uh, there was a newspaper in Oregon that reported that big crowds were expected every time the Tigers came to town because they were so successful and so entertaining. So that was your most successful team out of the uh, West Coast Negro Baseball Association. Records of, the, of actual games are very sparse, very few and far between. For example, we know uh, we can actually read about the San Diego Club playing a doubleheader against the Oakland Larks in the season opener May 12th, 1946. Uh, the Tigers won their first game 8-7 to and lost the second 3-0. to The crowd was estimated at 2,500 fans, and there may have been a third game. We don't really know, but there's uh, some record of them losing by a score of 21 to four, but that's not confirmed. Let's go. Oakland. <laughs> yes. Results for other games, um, not been found. Coverage of the league was very sporadic and it was centered mainly around the Oakland Larks. We know that the Portland Rosebuds started the 46 season with three games in El Paso, Texas. The league schedule had them playing the Seattle Steelheads and we, we don't know what happened. If those games I don't remember. I don't remember El Paso being on that list of uh, West Coast no, teams. No, they weren't. It was. Uh, it was uh, like we're going to come here and we're going to play. We're going to start our league here in El Paso, and uh, I don't. We don't know why. They or... had prior engagements in El Paso. There, <laughs> <laughs> they have really good food there. By the uh, when the league folded, the Larks were uh, promoting themselves as the winners of the league with a fourteen and three record. So congratulations to the Oakland Larks and their 14-3 and three championship. The Tigers were listed as fifth place with a record of 4-6, and six, ahead of only the Los Angeles White Sox, who finished 3-12. and 12. So there was not, there still isn't a whole lot to talk about with the West Coast Negro Baseball Association. Um, like I said, you can go to Oakland's public library website, and you can see pictures of Saperstein and some of the players, there's uh, correspondence between Saperstein and uh, owners of PCL teams talking about using their stadiums when their teams are out of town. It just is, it was a great idea that unfortunately never really got off the ground more than just uh, a few local games and, and uh, unfortunately just did not pan out very well. Uh, but I wanted to talk about it, even though I knew it was going to be a short segment, I wanted to talk about it because... I didn't know anything about it, and I'm guessing most people haven't either. It interested me most to find out that Jesse Owens, who is one of my heroes, Jesse Owens was part of the uh, of the league, and I thought that was really cool that he started the team in Portland. So it gives uh, Jesse Owens a little bit of a, a, a local uh, flair as well. So uh, that's really all I have. Yeah, we'll throw we'll throw those links to the uh, to the Oakland Public Library where you can look on those things online because I I looked at them too. There's some interesting stuff there, 
And uh, I, I told you before we started today that last year the the A's had a Oakland uh, Oakland Larks night. Yeah. And I've got an Oakland Larks hat, which is really cool. And uh, they did, you know, showed a video with the history of the team. They had, uh, I told you that the, the stadium they played in is now the parking lot for the for Pixar animation in Emeryville is where that's located, which right. is just north of, of Oakland. But yeah, yeah, I Very didn't know much else about that league except for what I saw in that video. So uh, if you want to find out more about this uh, West Coast Negro League, we will, like I said, put some links in the show notes so you can go and read some more about that. Thank you, Mark. Let us completely head in a different direction and talk about beer. Yes, I love talking about beer. And, you know, we've talked about beer in the Negro Leagues before because the Negro Leagues, one of those many innovations that they had before anybody else was that they put beer in cups instead of, uh, you know, just, I guess it wasn't just cups. It was that they were the first ones to serve beer during a game. Yeah. And they would they would did it in glass glasses, which didn't work out well when yeah. they got mad. People but, drink a uh, lot and tend to throw things uh, if they have them. Well, speaking of that, that is a perfect segue <laughs> because I am going to talk about 10 cent beer night. Now, I have heard about 10 cent beer night. I had I didn't have the specifics, which is 10 tends to be how I come up with topics here. I'm like, oh, I, I've heard about that, but I don't know enough about it, but this seemed to be right up our alley here. So let's talk about 10 cent beer night. Now, a lot of people know about, or, or know at least a little bit about what went on during the actual 10 cent beer night in Cleveland, but there's a bit of a backstory leading up to that actual game. So before we get to that, let's go back to a week before where Cleveland was visiting the Rangers in Arlington, Texas. There was a problem though. Rain, the Rangers, Lenny Randall, noted Mariner and also a noted musician went in hard at second base during a double play to break it up. Like chase Utley hard, (laughs) not a clean play. Next time Randall comes up in the eighth inning, Milt Wilcox is on the bump for the Rangers. And the first pitch is behind Randall's head. You only get one shot, right? You know, if you're trying to hit somebody, you get one shot. If you miss, (laughs) you got to just, (laughs) that's on you. Uh, Wilcox thought it was over. He thought he got his message there. So Randall bunts the very next pitch, bunts it more or less down the first baseline. And as he is running, he is just staring at the pitcher who's coming over to field the ball. And Randall veers off out of the base paths and just gives a forearm shimmer. Shimmer? What is that? Shiver to the pitcher. Just knocks him flat on his but nice and then runs towards the first baseman who's trying to then tackle them both dugouts empty there is some punches being thrown it was a it was a full out brawl it wasn't a stand around and kind of grab each other it was a full out brawl so it's finally broken up teams are going back to their dugouts and as cleveland headed to their dugout the texas fans are throwing beer at them they're throwing firecrackers oh uh, there is a There's a very famous picture of Dave Duncan, who was the catcher for Cleveland at that point, goes on to be a very famous and successful pitching coach, but he is being held back as he's trying to climb on top of the dugout to get at these fans who are throwing beer at him. (laughs) I have got a great, uh, I found a great home video of this whole thing. Like I didn't find any actual 
TV broadcast footage, but there is home video of this and it is, it is really good quality. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. You should watch it. It's, it's really great. Awesome. Um, but after the game, a Cleveland reporter asked the Rangers manager, Billy Martin, are you going to take armor with you when you go to Cleveland next week? And Martin replied, nah, they won't have enough fans to worry about it. And he wasn't kidding either. Cleveland was not good. I mean, they were never good in the 70s or the 80s or, you know, most of the time. <laughs> and they, of course, they they weren't drawing well. They, they played in the cavernous Cleveland Municipal Stadium, a.k.a. the mistake by the lake. So just... They weren't worried about it. So now we're going we're gonna to fast forward to the next week. The Rangers head north, and a much larger crowd than was expected shows up for this game. Actually, twice as many fans, over 25,000. Oh, wow. So <laughs> there's, there's, it's still, it doesn't look like much in the stadium, but apparently there wasn't sports radio per se at that time, but people on the radio were talking about this fight that had happened and were getting people riled up and there were newspaper stories about it. And so people were, were you, they wanted to go and show their disapproval to the Rangers, but what didn't help is it was also 10 cent beer night. <laughs> now. So get this, first of all, a ticket to the grandstands to this game cost 50 cents. So if you had $1 in your pocket, you could go to this game and get five beers. Wow. Yeah. Uh, This was also not the first time that this promotion had been held either. This was pretty much a staple around Major League Baseball at this point. Just a couple of seasons earlier, even Cleveland actually held a nickel beer night, but didn't have any problems. I can't even imagine. I mean, right now, if I wanted to have five beers, I'd have to like do a cash out on my mortgage. Yeah, you have to take out a loan. <laughs> now, also, this beer was only 3.2%. So that's like <laughs> half of, you know, it's it's half of what it probably normally is. But it's so dirt cheap that it doesn't matter. It's just like water, I'm sure. So they're going to sell a lot of beer. Another factor in this whole thing is at this point, the drinking age was 18 years old. So (laughs) there are a lot of people showing up for this game that probably normally don't care about baseball and probably would not be at the stadium. But drinking age is 18 and it's 10 cent beer night. I I sense a convergence of very uh, bad things coming together. Yeah, this does not go well. Spoiler alert. (laughs) So the team was being responsible, though. They said you can only buy six beers at a time. Now, by that, I mean that you could buy six beers by yourself, take them, get in the back of the line, drinking them as you get back up to the front and then buy six more. <laughs> so it's literally just what, however many you want. You just got to You can only take six at a time. So in the game, the Rangers jump out to a five to one lead and things are starting to get rowdy. Tom Grieve of the uh, Texas Rangers uh, hits a home run to start things off for the Rangers. After that, uh, a woman jumps over the fence right by the Cleveland dugout, uh, goes to the on-deck circle, and lets loose the Krakens. <laughs> uh, untethers her sweater zeppelins, uh. if you get what I'm saying. Uh, then she runs out and tries to kiss the third base umpire. Oh, my. So <laughs> she had already, you know, she had already let him get to second base, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, 
Ah. Uh, so soon after that, Tom Grieve hits his second home run of the game. And as he is circling the bases, a bare naked man jumps over the fence wearing only two socks. But as he jumped over the fence, he lost one of those socks. So he starts sprinting, slides into second base. Not a smart thing to do when you're bare naked, Oof. buck naked, Oof. whatever. Uh, gets up, being chased by security, wearing only one sock, heads straight out to center field, scales the outfield wall, and disappears. <laughs> they never caught him. Oh, my. I don't know where a, a one-socked naked man goes after scaling a wall at a, at a baseball game, but he got, out, he got away, apparently. Soon after that, a father-son duo, apparently wanting a bonding experience at the old ball game, jumped out of the stands in right field and dropped trout. Mooning the entire outfield bleachers and Ranger outfielders. So as the game continues, more and more fans are running onto the field, just causing these delays. Way way to be an example, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I know you and I have both had our share of... uh, of uh, people on the field. Yeah. It seemed there was in Seattle though, there was a time when that was happening two or three times a year, yeah. just like five, six years ago. It was. Oh yeah. I've seen crazy. plenty, uh, I, including a completely buck naked guy jumped over the fence and ran through left field into center field. And uh, yeah, it was interesting. They couldn't figure out how to cover him up to drag him off the field. So the cop had to I don't want to. Th- I don't want to put the handcuffs on him. He put his hat over the guy's privates, and they they wrapped a jacket around him. And I I can only imagine that 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 police officer never wore that hat again. Never wore that, that hat head. again. Yeah, I don't want that. That's yours. That's a souvenir right there. All right. So by the end of the night, sixty five thousand cups of beer were consumed. Oh my gosh! Now that's that's cups. And I say that's cups because sometime during this game, people ceased using cups. <laughs> so past the outfield wall, there was a truck, like a rental truck was parked there. In the back of it were several large kegs and spigots. And and manning these were two 16-year-old girls pouring beer and two more were taking money. Now, again, the drinking age is 18, but there are four 16-year-old girls pouring beer and taking money. So as the, the night grew later and, and the crowd a bit rowdier, the fans eventually picked up the table that they were using to serve the beer and they tossed it over the truck. <laughs> the girls had had enough. They just left. They're like, we're we out. Yeah, good for them. So now this beer was unattended. <laughs> OK, <laughs> now, would you believe me if I told you that even though these fans were liquored up, they still queued up politely and patiently waited their turn for the now free beer? No kidding. Of course, of course not. It was a free for all. There's free beer. There's this is like kids at a yeah. candy shop and, and the, the adults have left. So there are guys just, you know, putting their mouth underneath the, the tap and holding it open and just trying to waterboard themselves with beer. Back to the game. So Cleveland rallies. They scratch together some runs. And in the bottom of the ninth inning, they tie it up five five. And that's when this story really starts to unravel. A 19-year-old kid named Terry Yurkic 
decides that he really, really wants the Rangers right fielder, Jeff Burroughs, wants his hat. So he jumps onto the field, runs up behind Burroughs, who's unaware at this point, and knocks his hat off his head. Now, fortunately, the Rangers were headed by a very level-headed skipper known for his ability to diffuse situations, especially when alcohol is involved. Not one to ratchet things up at all. You know who I'm talking about, Billy Martin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. That's that's a really good description of Billy Martin's personality. <laughs> so, by the way, we did, a, we did a really fun episode on Billy as a manager back in episode 27. So, if you haven't listened to that, head back over a year to episode 27. So, Billy grabs a bat from the bat rack and charges out of the dugout towards his outfielders. The rest of the Rangers dugout sees this. They grab bats and follow their manager out to right field. <laughs> Cleveland fans, needless to say, wasted beyond belief at this point. <laughs> it's a lot of beer they've consumed. Oh, man. And while probably not a lot of hardcore baseball fans there, the sanctity of their city was being challenged by these Rangers. So what do they do? En masse, they start pouring out of the stands onto the field. I don't know. Maybe they all wanted Jeff Burrow's hat like young Terry. I don't know. But they decided here come the Rangers. It's on. So I got a question for you. Do you know who was managing the Cleveland team in 1974? I only know because I did a little reading up on this. <laughs> <laughs> it is none other than Bob Aspromonte. <laughs> Bob Aspromonte, Colt 45 legend. He's finally broken free from that little blind bastard, Billy Bradley, and he is heading the Cleveland team. <laughs> well, there was no love lost between these two teams, but they are all still baseball players. So Bob sends his guys out there to help protect the Rangers from these crowds, because as we covered last week, Bob is a good guy. <laughs> there are, and I kid you not, there are fans with knives, chains, bottles. They've ripped seats up from the stands and are swinging them at Rangers out here in the outfield. Very little security. I, as I mentioned, they just weren't, they did not expect this many people, let alone for it to get this rowdy. And it, it got ugly. So both teams are fighting their way through the drunken, disorderly crowd back to the dugout and eventually lock themselves in their clubhouses. Many nursing injuries sustained by thrown objects, swung objects. I, I mean, there were guys legitimately bleeding. The Rangers' Mike Hargrove, a.k.a. the human rain delay. Yeah. And future Cleveland skipper as well. This was a quote from him. He said, quote, I must have had 15 to 20 pounds of hot dogs thrown at me that night. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of processed meat. Wait, the hot dogs weren't 10 cents, were they? Uh, you know, they probably weren't a whole lot more expensive. Who, who would waste than, a quarter on point. a hot dog when they could get two and a half cups of beer? Yeah, <laughs> they were probably just reaching into the hot dog vendors <laughs> like tubs and <laughs> taking them. All right. So while this riot is happening on the field, the organist... I love organ music, tried to soothe this raucous crowd by playing Take Me Out to the Ballpark. <laughs> of course, that doesn't work. We Remember, we talked about this tactic when we talked about the White Sox because they tried it during Disco Demolition Night, which, by the way, episode 14. Go check it out. There you go. If you remember, Harry Carey got on the PA during Disco Demolition Night and tried to distract the rioting crowd by singing It Doesn't Work. 
don't try it. If you got a riot, don't play organ music. Yeah, Nobody likes it. Don't try a sing along. It's not going to go over. It's not, <laughs> not going to work. <laughs> so a bloodied umpire crew chief, Nestor Silak, declares this game a forfeit. He says Texas is the winner by rule. They're, they're awarded a nine to nothing win. The SWAT team had to be called in. They finally broke out the tear gas and got the situation under control. The Rangers were escorted to their bus by the Indians. Again, just trying to get them safely to their bus and out of there. And my favorite quote from this entire thing is from then American League President Lee McPhail, who said, quote, there was no question that beer played a part in this riot, end quote. <laughs> Thanks, Captain Obvious. No. That's great. <laughs> Did the, uh, did the Cleveland team learn their lesson from this? Hell no. They had another 10-cent beer night a month later. Over 41,000 attended, but they set a strict two-beer limit for 10 cents. After that, they were full price, so they didn't have quite the same uh, problem. But <laughs> Imagine that. Limiting the alcohol resulted in not having a riot. <laughs> Funny, funny stuff happens when you don't give all of that alcohol. But there you go. That is 10 cent beer night and the great riot at the mistake by the lake. That's that's amazing. You know, I, when you told me you were doing this story, I, I found a really good quote from uh, NBC's Tim Russert. Uh, may he rest in yep. peace. Uh, he said, I went with two dollars in my pocket. You do the math. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, that must have been quite a scene. At least it, you know, it, it did. It wasn't as racially charged as Disco Demolition Night. It was. Right. This was just drunk and disorderly going on. But. That's that's crazy. All right, Mark, are you ready to jump into a new season of a very popular segment that we like to call, and so we do, Wax Pack Heroes. You know, I, I, I really don't feel I've been given enough time to uh, enjoy being the champion, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and say, yeah, I'll, I'll start a whole new season. Let's do it. It's been a week. If you have not relished and, and celebrated, and I'm, I, I wouldn't have slept myself, but yeah. that's on you if you haven't celebrated. Well, yeah, In case you missed it. Last week, Mark claimed another victory and actually closed out the first season. He was the first to 20 wins. He has been crowned the champion. And if you happen to be watching this version of Wax Packs Heroes on our YouTube channel, you will see that he has a special uh, <laughs> crown that he has been given as the winner of the first season of Wax Packs Heroes. He will don that crown until I can take it from him, which I hopefully will. But... Uh, Let's do get into the new season here. Now, because this is a new season, we're implementing a couple of new rules because who doesn't love rules? To be honest, you got to have rules, man. P people love rules. All right. So let's go over the rules. We still got some rules from last year, but we've added a couple of new ones. So let's go through the list here. Uh, first of all, real stirrups. You're wearing those. That's great news because they're awesome and you're going to get an extra cent for that. If you are wearing the dreaded two-in-one fake stirrups Ooh. sewn into your socks, those suck. Yeah. Come on, man. You're, you're better than that. That's minus one cent. Uh, next, if you're wearing a mustache, 
or if you've grown one. If you're wearing one, we'll probably give it to you as well. You get an extra cent. New rule, we can give you an extra cent if it is a super sweet mustache, making it worth two cents. So think Tom Selleck level mustache, two cent mustache. Uh, Next, another new rule, glasses of any sort. We're thinking here mainly the the big science teacher sunglasses. The the Kurt Rambis. uh, Well, those are sports specs. Those count too. Chris Sabo. Yep. Those kind of things. Uh, Vance Law talked about the, the ones that he wore. Those are those are good. Even sunglasses, flip downs. Oh, for sure. You're getting an extra cent for those. Uh, another new rule, MIMS bands. You get an extra cent. What are MIMS bands? Those are those sweatbands that had a caricature of your face on it. And they would also say, say no to drugs, which was weird because Daryl Strawberry used to wear <laughs> one, which I don't know how that works. But uh, we'll also, if your sweatband has your, your jersey number on it, we'll give you a, an extra cent for that as well. If you are wearing high top spikes and you are showing stirrup, that's a bad look. And you're going to get a minus one cent for that. That's ugly. If you are wearing high tops and you are wearing two and ones, that's even worse. You're going to get a minus two cents for that because you're better than that, man. That's uglier. Better than that. And then, of course, if you're a Hall of Famer, you get an extra five cents. So a couple of new rules in there. Hopefully we'll remember them all. This is a pretty big list at this point, but <laughs> hopefully we will remember all these new rules. But uh, this uh, this week, Mark, we are going to work with a pair of 87 FLIR cards. Nice. So uh, we are, of course, as always, we're using a May 1992 Beckett baseball card uh, monthly so that the there is some value to these cards. Now, looking at the 87 FLIR cards... Uh, There is a Bo Jackson rookie card in here. There is also a Will Clark rookie card. The Will Clark is actually worth quite a bit more. It's an $18 card. Uh, Bo Jackson is worth $12. Uh, There's a Barry Bonds rookie card and a Bobby Bonilla rookie card. Uh, Not worth as much. There's a Ruben Sierra rookie card in here for $10. There are some big money cards here. We could... could uh, come up with a, another $14 card like I had a couple of weeks back. But. Yeah, I, I believe I used to collect the Ruben Sierra 87 Fleers along with the Kevin Seitzers. Well, let's see. Maybe we can add to your collection here. I've got two car- two packs here. I'm going to let you choose whether you want the one on the left or the right. We're going to go with the right. One on the right? Okay, I'm going to have you go first because that's the way we roll. Yep. So let's open your, your pack here. Come on, Ruben. He's open. Nice. He's open. Almost as if they've been opened before. Uh-oh. Uh, all right. So let's uh, let's look. You've got some stickers here. Oh, this could not have been made more for you. It's a two-pack of stickers with the Astros and the Mariners. No way. Yeah. That's perfect. So I pick congratulations. Right yeah, congratulations on that. That's awesome. So let's uh, let's get right into it here. Your first card is a catcher for the Minnesota Twins. It is Mr. Jeff Reed. I recall Jeff Reed. I don't recall a lot about Jeff Reed. I, I don't know a single thing about Jeff Reed. He looks like a catcher, though. Um, but he has got absolutely no value. Even with our new rules, he has no value. <laughs> uh, good Twins BP jerseys here, though. Dark blue with the script Twins and then the TC 
hat. That's a, it's actually a good looking card for something that's not worth anything. You know, I, I believe uh, he fits our definition of the left-handed hitting catcher as well, if I remember correctly. Oh, let's see here. Uh, back of the card. Let me take a look here. Jeff Reed bats left, throws right. There you go. Way to go. We've had a slew of those lately. Yeah. All right. Next, you have got pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers. It is Mr. Ken Howell. Again, I I remember the name. Um, I, isn't he a coach now? Uh, gosh. I don't think so. <laughs> I, re, I remember his name, though. I remember his name. But uh, he is going to start you off, though. He's going to get you two cents because he's got a mustache and he's got uh, real stirrups, as I think everybody will in these packs. Go Ken. But that'll get you on the board. Next. Oh, boy. This guy. <laughs> didn't know this guy was uh, still pitching at this point. It is a pitcher at this point for the San Diego Padres, Lamar Hoyt. Lamar, where does it Hoyt? Yes. <laughs> I am, was not familiar with that nickname. <laughs> Lamar Hoyt, he pitched forever. He, he, yeah, he did. Um, I know he, didn't he win a, a Cy Young Award one year? I believe. Actually, you know what? He didn't pitch that. He only pitched for eight years. But oh. yes, he did win a Cy Young in 83. He went 24 and 10 with a whip of 1.024. Wow. The year before that, he went 19 and 15 to lead the league in wins, as, as well as in 1983. And then in 1984, he led the league in losses with a 13 and 18 mark. Wow. So, <laughs> But yes, yeah, Cy Young Award winner in uh, in uh, 1983, and an All Star MVP Ooh. as well in 1985. But uh, that card is worth uh, only one cent. He's got real stirrups, but that's uh, that's the only kind of money you're going to see from him. Hmm. All right, next uh, pitcher for the Yankees. I remember this guy because he was uh, on the team when Ricky was there. Dennis Rasmussen. Dennis Rasmussen. Man, you're, you're really hitting a lot of guys I don't know a whole lot. Uh, I don't know a whole lot about him. I just, like I said, I remember remember he was uh, on the Yankees when Ricky was there. He only pitched for a couple of, uh, oh no, he pitched for 12 years. He pitched for quite a while. Mainly a starter. A career mark of 91 and 77. That's not going to score me any points. Uh, no, it's going to score you no points. Yeah. Uh, Next, uh, one of our favorites here with the Milwaukee Brewers, an outfielder. It is Mr. Rob Deer. Rob Rain Deer. Uh, you got to love him. You know, the, he was an all or nothing hitter. Well, this is uh, pretty impressive. Beckett actually uh, values this card at five cents. No kidding. Yeah. And he's got must, a mustache as always. And he's got real stirrups. So that's seven cents. Rob Deer, one of those early Two true outcomes. And I say two true outcomes because he either struck out or hit a home run. That's he right. didn't walk. All or nothing. Next. Uh, oh, you got a Hall of Famer here. There we go. This is a special 1987 Fleer All-Star team. It is, boy, you know, I realize that there's a lot of baseball players that had the nickname The Kid. But this one is Gary Carter. Yes. Gary Carter, uh, I believe, was with the Expos and Mets for the majority of his career. And yep. yeah, he, I mean, he spent kid. one I mean, forgettable was... year with the Giants. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It, it, he was he was called the kid. I never understood that because I only knew him as like an older player. But uh, apparently he came up uh, as a young man and was 
quite good from the very beginning. Yeah. So now on this, it says card number two of 12. And I don't see these all-star cards listed anywhere. His regular card is number four, which is worth 10 cents. But that is not this card. Hmm. It's probably um, an insert worth seven or eight bucks. <laughs> we'll just give it, we'll, we'll give it a $15. <laughs> um, I'm just looking. Sometimes they'll have an AS yes. by it, but I, I do not see these listed anywhere. So I'm afraid all I can do is give you the uh, five cents for the Hall of Fame. I'll take it. All right. So that'll bump you up to 15 cents. Get a lot of catchers in this pack. Here we go with the uh, Boston Red Sox. It is Rich Gedman, another left-handed batting bitch, right. uh, catcher. You beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rich, though, uh, worth uh, absolutely nothing other than being a left-handed hitting catcher. I believe he is um, a hitting coach in the minor leagues with the Red Sox. Well, he's with the Red Sox here as well. Yeah. You're going to enjoy this card. It is outfielder here with the Texas Rangers. It's Tom Pachorek. Tom Pachorek. Absolutely. A former Mariner. Uh, I remember Tom mainly. I don't remember him as a player. I remember him as uh, Hawk Harrelson's sidekick on just some absolutely awful years of Chicago White Sox announcing. They were my least favorite broadcast team. Yeah. Well, you know what his nickname was by chance? Was it Wimpy? It is Wimpy. Very good. Yeah, he was uh, had to do with uh, Wimpy from Popeye, wasn't right. it? Yep, exactly. Uh, no value there, though. Nothing going on for Wimpy. Of course not. Next, we got outfielder for the Bucks. It is R.J. Reynolds, the uh, tobacco company. Yep, exactly. Uh, it's just a, a tobacco leaf here on the uh, on the picture. <laughs> uh, he does have the nice uh, like pi- what is it stovetop hat with the rings around it for the Pirates here. Uh, he's got a nice mustache. That's the only value, though, you're going to get. That'll bring you up to 16 cents. Yeah. Okay, I, I like to ask you about third baseman for two teams whenever we do this. Yes. One is the Mariners, and you know the answer is always Jim Presley. Yes. The other is third base for the Houston Astros at this point. Phil Garner. No. no. Not scrap iron. Um. Wow. You may have me on this one. Uh, I'm drawing a blank. Once I once I tell you, you'll 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 slap your head. Kenny Wallen. Caminiti was 88, I believe. He hadn't come onto the scene yet, so it's Denny Walling. Denny Walling. God, you know what? I should have known that. You're right. <laughs> uh, Denny will get you one cent with his mustache, but that's that's about it. I thought. I thought I had some tidbit on Denny Walling a while ago, but I don't remember what it was. We talked about it. He him. had a pretty good, yeah, he played for 18 years. That's pretty impressive. Wow. That's, uh, that's a lot of years. That's a heck of a career. Yeah. Apparently he was on the A's. Oh, he was a first round pick by the A's. I did not know that. But uh, that'll get you one cent. That'll bring you up to 17 cents. Oh, and we go from one uh, third baseman to my favorite third baseman of the past. I'm going to. Matt Chapman is probably up there, but here's my boy, Carney Lansford, Gotta chili con Carney Lansford. Gotta love Carney Lansford. Well, Bill James doesn't, but I certainly do. No value on the card from Beckett's. He does have a mustache. He always had a stash. Yes. You're going to get one cent. Now you're going to get screwed out of a cent because he had his own Mims bands, but he never wore sweatbands. I, I I corresponded with Mims bands on Twitter. 
because they they sent me a list of who they had available that you can still buy these from. And there was Carney Lansford. And I said, how is Carney Lansford there? I He never wore sweatbands in his career. And he said, nope, never did. But he was a big supporter of ours. And we made we made them for him. But hmm. you don't no 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 extra cent for you there. Next pitcher for the Detroit Tigers, Jim Slayton, Slatton, Jim Slayton. Latin? Yes, Slayton. Yeah, don't remember anything about him. I don't either. You're going to get a cent from the, that sweet stirrup money. That's it. You know what? I think actually now that I think about it, he may have coached a short while with the Mariners. Sounds familiar. I think everybody's coached for the Mariners yeah, for that's a true year. Too. And then the, okay. You got another catcher. I think this is like your 20th catcher of this At pack. Least. It is. I do remember this guy though. Junior Ortiz. Here he is with the Bucks. I remember. Oh, sure. Junior Ortiz. His uh, father, Senior Ortiz. You should have seen that guy. <laughs> <laughs> or the third Ortiz as well. He yes. was uh, he was really good as well. Uh, nothing but some mustache money for you. A lot of just like, uh, I think last time we opened this pack, we got the same thing. A lot of profile pictures from the waist up. Yeah. Now this guy <laughs> we've talked about, I love this guy. I love his last name. Uh, at this point, I don't want to say he was 104. I think he was only like 92 at this point. But here he is, pitcher for the Orioles, Don Aussie. <laughs> uh, Don Aussie, he was around for a long, long time, wasn't he? Yeah, and he looks like he's been around the block a bit here. <laughs> he has got one of those mustaches that is... <sighs> I don't, I don't know how to describe it, uh, but it's bushy. In fact, you know what? I think, I think he's going to be our first recipient of a two cent mustache. Nice way to go. Don Aussie. Yeah. I'm going to give you two. That's just bushy enough. It's kind of a Wilford Brimley esque type old man <laughs> mustache. So that'll bring you up to 22 cents. Aussie pitched for 13 years, by the way. Wow. 66 and 60 career mark. Got a couple more here in your pack. Left-hander for the Chicago Cubs, Frank DePino. Frank DePino, uh, yeah, actually, I, am I thinking of the right guy? Pitch for the Astros, too, at some point. That sounds like that might be correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he came up with the Astros, okay. pitched with them for five years, and then went to the Cubs. Yeah, I kind of remember him, but uh, not a whole lot. Uh, unfortunately, no value there. Uh, next, Pete Ladd, not Cheryl Ladd, Pete Ladd, pitcher for the Seattle Mariners. He has got, oh, look at you're going to be our first recipient for an extra point for science teacher glasses. Nice. This card, I'm going to guess, is not worth anything in Beckett. It is not. But he has real stirrups. He has a two-cent mustache, and he has got science teacher sun, uh, glasses on. So that ends up getting you four cents for a card that is worth nothing in Beckett. Nice. Way to go, Pete Ladd. I, I, I remember him uh, with the Mariners, and he had a big bushy head of hair, too. Yeah, he's got he's got a fro, almost, Yeah, uh, coming out of that. Kind of reminds me of Weird Al. That's, that's a good comp with, with facial hair. Uh, bushy facial hair, because Weird Al's kind of got the thin yeah. thing. But. All right, next, your, your final card is a pitcher for Cleveland. It is Brian Olkers. O-E-L-K-E-R-S. Yeah, you got me on that he one. Is from, he is from Zargoza, Spain. You do not get a lot of Spaniards in the major leagues. No, no, you don't. Let's look at, I'm sure that's not worth anything in Beckett. It is not, but that I, that's bordering. That could be a two-cent mustache. 
Uh, you know, I just, I'm going to say no. I'm just going to give you one on that. And, and here's my, here's my reason. Because it is lopsided, it does not look like he takes great pride in grooming his mustache. Well, that's fair enough. I, I trust you as the final arbiter of mustaches, my friend. <laughs> that is just not, that's just not taking pride there. And, and that might be the way they do it in Spain. That's not, this is the big leagues, kid. That's right. Yeah, it's a little thin. Like one whole half of it, I can like see his face underneath it. The other half is just solid heavy hair. It's just, yeah. I'm going to have to I'm going to have to knock you down there. And you Brian. know what? If that's the way it grows, you shouldn't be having a mustache. Yeah, you should just paint it on or something. Yeah. All right. So you ended up with 27 cents. It's not the best day I've ever had, but uh, I'll uh, hopefully yeah. it holds up. All right, so my pack, I got a, I got a nice big sticker, just one sticker. It's a, it's a pirate sticker. It's the old one with the actual, you know, pirate with the buccaneer hat on it. It's a good looking sticker. Nice. All right, my first picture. Oh, I, this is my first science teacher glasses right out of the, the gate. But that's probably all I'm going to get for this. It's Tom Hume, pitcher for the Phillies. I remember Tom Hume. He, he. Uh, I do not. He. I remember him for the big. He had these like Coke bottle glasses. I totally remember yep. that. Yeah, I mean, he, these glasses are one of the reasons that we implemented this new rule right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got a Hall of Famer. This oh. is nice. Third baseman. Lord wrote a song about him signing autographs. It is George Brett. Nice. One of the great hitters uh, of all time. Let's see. So George Brett here. Now, how is this card not worth anything? How is this card considered at this point, am I looking wrong? Oh, I was looking wrong. Never mind. Uh, and I've also just won. Uh, so this card is worth 50 cents right out of the gate. Uh, he's a Hall of Famer and he's got real strips. So that equals a 56 cent card for me. Oh, my God. I'll tell you which what, will bump me up to 57 cents. I'm, I'm lucky that uh, Mr. Brett was always clean shaven or I really get crushed. Yeah. <laughs> he's not wearing sunglasses and... He doesn't have any special wristbands on, but that one card has just, I, I, I'm, a, I'm ahead. I, I'm trying to steal that crown. All right, this next guy is a jerk. He, uh, he is known for having a lot of chew in his, uh, in his mouth. Uh, when he was a center fielder for the Phillies, I got it. The AstroTurf out there was just brown in center field. He was also on the 86 Mets. It is nails. It is Lenny Dykstra. Ah, uh, yes. I, you know what? When he was playing, uh, I actually paid money to get his autograph. Wow. Yes. That's a true story. How much? I think it was like 12 bucks or something. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Beckett certainly likes him. That card is worth 15 cents. I picked the wrong this pack. This is a good pack. Yeah, this is a good pack. He's got real stirrups on, so that'll make it a 16 cent card. And that will bump me up to 73 cents. Uh, already three cards in the, oh wow this guy was one of my favorite relievers on the a's here he is with the white socks i have never seen this card before it is gene nelson gino gino was a solid reliever i loved gino he was the righty that would come out of the pen for the a's he was pretty much the the eighth inning bridge for a right-hander to eckersley uh, for those teams in the late 80s, early 90s for the A's. 
no value, but he does have a sweet. That is, I, I'm gonna say it. That's a two cent mustache right there. It is nice and thick and bushy, and fills up his entire upper lip, and it's lush. That's uh, that's a two center. Beautiful brings me up to seventy five. Uh, next, here's a uh, pitching coach. At one point, was a pitching coach for the Mariners. Uh, a lot of times, he was the pitching coach for Lou Pinella's team. It is Carl Willis. Man, I only remember Carl Willis as a coach. Well, you'll remember this because this is his rookie card. Oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, so it's worth five cents. That's all I'm going to get out of it. But again, <laughs> since I'm running rough shot here, it's just I'm just piling it on at this point. That'll bring me up to eighty cents. Next, I this guy was this guy was pretty good. Oh, and we're going to get a new rule here in effect too. It is outfielder for the St. Louis Cardinals, Tito Landrum. Oh man, I remember the name, but I don't remember Tito Landrum. Let's uh, let's look up old Tito Landrum here. Tito Landrum played for nine years, a bulk of it with the Cardinals, eight years with the Cardinals. Pretty pretty decent, probably like a fourth outfielder here. Hit career average of two forty nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, could steal some bags, one hundred and eleven stolen bases. But uh, what I'm most excited about is he has got a sweatband with his number on it. Oh, man. So that's our first. Uh, and that's all I'm going to get out of this card. But uh, one cent for the uh, for the uh, sweatband. Next pitcher for the Detroit Tigers. It is Willie Hernandez. Willie Hernandez. Man, I, again, I'm drawing a blank. He is a kind of a stocky guy. And uh, he's got the Sansibel pants going on here with the Tigers. He's got a mustache and he's got science teacher glasses. So uh, no value from Beckett, but I'm going to get two cents. Well, I'm, I, I want to save some of this for next week. Man, I know you're is, stomping all over me. This is good stuff. Next, we've got pitcher for the uh, Cincinnati Reds, John Denny. Again, I have no idea. I don't really re- remember John Denny, but I'm looking at the back of his card here. This dude pitched for a long time. He came up in 74. Spent, what, like seven years with the Cardinals, three with the Indians, five with the Phillies. Dude pitched for wow. quite a while here. That's from Prescott, that Arizona. He escapes my uh, memory completely. Yeah, no value in in Beckett. I'm going to get one cent for those stirrups. He's got some good stirrups. Uh, this is a good-looking card right here for an A's fan. It is uh, somebody that was a first-round draft pick by the New York Mets and really just never did anything as a player, but uh, is probably, let me see what you think about this, probably maybe a Hall of Famer as a general manager, Billy Bean. Oh, the great Billy Bean. Absolutely. If you're going to vote a, a general manager in, it, Billy Bean, he, he changed the game. Absolutely true. I, I, I'd i be interested to get some uh, some input from our listeners as to whether they think he is a, a Hall of Famer or not. I think I think he is as, as a manager, as a general manager. But uh, no value here. He's got like a five o'clock shadow, but it's not good enough to be called a mustache. Next, another cat. Well, this is a catcher. I haven't had as many catchers as you. Alex Trevino here with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Nothing much to say there. (laughs) Next, uh, infielder. Just listed as an infielder. That means utility for the San Diego Padres. This guy played for quite a while. This is the end of his career. Jerry Royster. Jerry Rolls Royster. Yeah, he, he could pretty much play anywhere. 
Um, he could play anywhere. He could also get me one cent. That's it. Just one cent for that sweet mustache. Nice. Uh, bordering on a two center, but I'm just going to give him one. It's one of those that, you know, kind of starts to be a Fu Manchu, but doesn't go down the whole way. But he's, he's, it's trimmed nicely. Okay. This is an, boy, this guy's wearing almost the exact same facial hair. It is uh, outfielder for the New York Yankees, Mike Easler. Mike Easler. You know, that sounds familiar. This is the pack of all guys that sound familiar, but I don't know. I I remember him because he was, again, on the Yankees when Ricky was there. So I was a little bit more familiar with who was on the Yankees. Boy, Easler played for 14 years. Had a career batting average of 293, 804 OPS. Wow. That's not bad. No, it isn't. He is the brother-in-law of Cliff Johnson. Wow. Huh. I did not know that. Oh, that's not... Cliff Johnson is not who I thought it was. I was thinking Cliff Johnson. For some reason, I thought there was a Cliff Johnson that played for the uh, the Marlins maybe like a decade ago. But it is not. But... Uh, I am going to get uh, just one cent there for the sweet, sweet mustache. So that'll bring me up to 87 cents. A couple of cards here left to go. Pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers. Here is a very young Tim Leary. Tim Leary. Yeah, I remember him as a Dodger mostly. Yeah, I think he pitched for a good hot minute. But uh, this card is not worth anything. And uh, I'm going to get zero cents from that one. Not cool. Not cool at all. Uh, next, I've got one of these all-star, Fleer all-star cards. You had the Gary Carter. I've got the Tony Fernandez. Tony Fernandez in 87. My, how, Slick. What did his career span? I don't know. <laughs> what did it span? There are no stats on the back of this card. So okay. let, me, let me look it up there. I, I know we've talked about Tony because he uh, just passed away. Recently, Tony Fernandez was in the uh, in the bigs for 17 years. Yeah, yeah. Spent awesome. 12 of them with the Blue Jays, two with the Padres, and then scattered around for a year in individual places. But uh, led the league in triples in 1990 with 17. Wow. That's a lot of triples. That is. Four-time gold glover, five-time all-star, and was on that 93 World Series team. Yeah, he's solid. Uh, but that is going to get me no sense. I had, well, that's what my wife says all the time, but uh, no, no mustache. He usually had a little, little wispy thing, but not in this picture. And the, we already determined those cards don't, they, they don't show up in here. Yeah. Uh, next we have got, well, he was a manager of the year as a manager. Here he is as a player kind of later on in his career. Actually, I know he still had a couple of years left because he was on the A's in, I think it was 89. It is uh, Don Baylor. Don Baylor, yeah, uh, used to have the record of being hit by pitches, I believe. Yep. But I don't... Yeah, he got hit by a ton of pitches. He led the league in hit by pitches nine times. Wow. Oh, I'm sorry, eight times. And uh, over his career, his 19-year career, he was hit 267 times. My goodness, that's a lot. That's a lot. He was the MVP in 1979 where he ended up hitting 296. He drove in 139 RBI with 36 home runs and a 901 OPS. He was uh, manager of the year. Uh, let's see what year. He was a uh, member of the 87 World Series team with the uh, Twins. And uh, was he the manager of the year with the 
Rockies? I'm not sure, man. Uh, manager of the year in 1995 when he was the manager of the Rockies. Give me a go. Okay. There they you were go. 80, a, uh, 77 and 67 that year. So I guess that was probably their first winning year. But again, that uh, is not worth a whole heck of a lot. It gets me one cent for the uh, for the mustache. Brings me up to 88. I've got two cards left here. Another guy. Here he is with the Rangers. I again remember him with the Yankees. It is Gary Ward. Uh, Gary Ward. I, I do remember him with the Yankees as well. Uh, he was kind of that fifth outfielder. Well, fourth outfielder. Uh, no value from Beckett. I get a cent for that sweet mustache. And my final card is, here he is pictured with the Pirates. He was a first baseman with them in many playoff games. Also with the Atlanta Braves. This is pre-knee surgery, it looks like, because there's no big brace on his knee. It is Sid Bream. Sid Bream, uh, solid hitter, left-handed bat, I believe. And uh, if I remember right, he was a pretty tall guy. Yeah, he was a really good hitter. And if I recall correctly, he scored on Francisco Cord- Cordova. Was that that the catcher, backup catcher for the Braves, knocked him in and he just barely slid in under the tag uh, back in, what was that, like 91 or something? It seems to... I don't have any somewhere recollection around of it, but I believe you, man. It's a very... If you saw the play, you would go, oh, yeah. He's just lumbering around third and, gotcha. and slides in under the tag. Okay. But that was my last card. But uh, that was a an easy win for me. I hate to say it, yeah. but uh, the final score, uh, I came up with a 91 to your 27. That's that's terrible. I want to apologize for anybody out there that was rooting for me. Uh, well, okay, so, so nobody. Yeah. We, we know that this is a solid... A solid Jeff crowd. So uh, <laughs> let's look at the standings. After our first game, I'm on the board. One to nothing. Shut out. Going. Shut out going. I've only got 19 more to go, but uh, there you go. So that was a pack of 1987 Fleer. Uh, that'll wrap up our uh, episode of Wax Packs Heroes. That was a good pack for me. Boy. And I believe we got everything in except for the high top uh, rule. No high tops in 1987 no, yet. Yep, but. yep, yep. Nice pack, though, man. Uh, I mean, I got to give you kudos for playing so well. Yep, yep. I really worked hard on that. <laughs> all right, let's let's uh, let's wrap up the show. First of all, we want to thank all of our listeners. We really do appreciate it. We've been talking to a lot of you guys on social media as well as through emails. We're, we're getting people talking to us all over. If you want to tell people about the show, we sure do appreciate it. Uh, we enjoy bringing them to you. Uh, we've had a couple of topics suggested. We've got some uh, people that are lining up guests for us. This is great. We don't have to do any work. We really do appreciate it. Uh, if you want to follow us on social media, you can do so. We are at Two Strike Noise. You can find us both on Twitter and Instagram. That is at TWO Strike Noise. We're on YouTube as well. I've been catching up on getting some of these old Wax Packs heroes uh, up there. This will, episode that we just did will be up there shortly. So you can see my wonderful pack. Uh, just search for wax, uh, wax Pack. Well, you could search for Wax Packs heroes, but uh, search for Two Strike Noise, Two Strike Noise podcast, and that'll take you to the YouTube page. I'll also put all those links in the show notes. Mark, uh, why don't you hit them up with our email address? Yeah, feel free to write to us at Two Strike Noise. Again, spell it out, T-W-O, Strike Noise at gmail.com. This was a lot of fun. I have already got my topic for next week ready to go. 
So I'm going to just tell you, you should be here because it's going to be a good one. Okay. I, I'm, I've got some ideas, uh, but I'm not going to finalize it for another couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, hopefully everybody else will join us uh, because we certainly do appreciate it. And we will see you once again on the next episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you.